in, in week seven, we come to in the chart, uh, in terms of experiencing God, um, you know, that God is pursuing a love relationship and that he speaks and that, um, we're, we're to the part now where we experience a crisis of belief. And, um, in, in this whole study, I think the term that has come up the most or, or what's caused the most concern is this phrase, the crisis of belief. And part of the struggle with the phrase crisis of belief uh, is it just really needs defining. What do we mean by crisis and what do we mean by belief? And so I think as Blackaby uses the term here, and I think as we see, uh, as you'll see in the, in the message today, crisis in this case means a turning point. In the arc of a story or in a timeline of events, by definition, it's it's a time when a difficult or important decision has to be made, like a, a crisis point in history. The synonyms of crisis are critical point, turning point, crossroads, watershed, uh, moment of truth, you know, zero hour. And so when we talk about a crisis of belief, what we're talking about here in the study is we mean any point in our life where we're at a crossroads, a critical point, a moment when we must decide how we're going to act or a moment when we choose what sort of person we're going to be. That's what's meant by crisis. It may not seem like a crisis. It's simply a crossroads in which we have to finally make a decision. And so in our relationship to God, in knowing God and learning to do His will, it's those moments as Christians when we are confronted with the difference between our plan and His. It's when we come to the realization that what we want is different than what God is calling us to, or what we thought would happen is different than what he intends. It's the, it's the point where we're confronted as Christians between his will and our will, and when we have to decide which one we're going to follow. But then the second part is belief, this crisis of belief, specifically what, what sort of crisis is this? And it's interesting because as Christians, we're known as believers. I mean, it's one of the things that we're called. We're called believers because we believe in God. But, but a crisis of belief, and even the word belief, as I thought about it, as I was preparing this week, can seem a little weak, right? Like, we can believe in a lot of different things, but not really count on them or count them as significant. But, of course, there's a good biblical word that adds some depth to believe, and that word, of course, is faith, right? We don't just believe, we also are people of faith, and that just seems to carry a little bit more weight with it. It's a little stronger, the word faith. It's like, yeah, it's, we trust. We don't, we don't just believe in God, we trust God. Right? And that's a good part of it. That trust piece is a good piece of the definition. We believe and we also trust, and believing and trusting, that's faith. And so when you take faith, it's really those two parts. That is both acknowledging and also trusting. But just changing the word from belief to faith doesn't get us all the way to the heart of the matter either. We have to know exactly what biblical faith means. And so what's biblical faith? And what is this crisis of faith in a biblical context so that we understand what it is that we're actually getting down to in this study in terms of coming to this turning point in our lives? And so this morning, that's what I want to look at. And a great chapter to go to, if you want to understand what biblical faith is, is Hebrews chapter 11. And so if you want to turn there in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, keep going past the epistles of Paul, and uh, you'll get to Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly called the faith chapter, as you'll see, because, and we're not going to do it all, I'm just going to look at the first few verses, but then the, the faith chapter of Hebrews 11 goes into talking about the faith of Abraham and Moses and, and all these great people in, in, in Scripture and talking about their faith. And I'll just pray 
before we read God's word and begin. Father God, this morning, as we are working our way through this study, we come to this reality that Henry Blackaby has unearthed for us, that when we understand who you are and we hear you speak, we come to a crisis of belief, a crisis of faith, a crisis of trust. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we look into your word today, that it would be clear to us what faith isn't and what faith is, that you would show us whether we are men and women of faith and how we can be men and women of faith that is pleasing to you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11, 1-6 reads, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance or certainty, your translation might say, about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So ends the reading of God's word. So as you can see, faith is an important topic. It's an important New Testament topic, okay? When you get into the New Testament, over 240 times the New Testament teaches on this issue of faith. And here in Hebrews, the writer says, faith is what ancients were commended for. It says Abel was commended. Enoch was commended. And and we want commendation, right? It's because of faith that they are commended by God, and, and we need that. Because the opposite of commended uses the same letters, but it's a different word, condemned. If you're not commended by God, then you're condemned. And so we really want to know what this faith thing is, if faith is what these ancients were commended for. It says commended, commended, commended. It says in verse 6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. And an unpleased God is not who we want to face in the last day, is it? Right? We certainly want this commendable faith so that we, God is pleased with us. And verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so there's no question here. There's no debate that the question of faith is absolutely crucial. Faith is vital to salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself. It is the gift of God. And so faith is the key to the beginning of our Christian life. We are saved. We come by grace through faith. And even that faith is a gift of God. And so it's the start of our Christian life. It's the start of our relationship with God. You, But then you also can't begin the Christian life without faith, and you also can't live the Christian life pleasing to God without faith because it's impossible to please God without him. And so, so faith is not a marginal issue. It's not something we can just ignore. It's not something you can put on a shelf someplace and just sort of forget about it till later. Living our life as Christians by faith is what it means to be a believer in Christ Jesus and to believe in God. And so through our faith, we're saved. And through faith, we please God. And so we need an answer to this question, what is faith? 
And then there's a question that follows naturally as we're answering that question this morning of what is faith? What does it look like? How do I know I have it? And then we can ask ourselves an important question that then follows immediately afterwards. Maybe it's obvious, but the question is simply, then am I a man or a woman of faith? Is that true of me? If this is what faith is, am I one of those men or women? And so we can be asking ourselves that question this morning. Faith is not a... The one, and one thing that we want to do here as we consider that question is consider what faith is. We want to first be clear what faith is not. And so maybe this will be helpful as we just sort of unpack what this word means and, and maybe, and part of the problem with this definition and part of the problem as I dug into this is words like belief and faith have come laden in our generation and in later decades and in later centuries with different meanings than they originally had. And so we use the words differently. We have to be careful how we use them. And so let's just first be clear what faith is not. Faith faith is not a subjective or personal religious feeling that's divorced from objective truth. Hebrews may say faith is assurance in what is not yet seen, but that does not mean that faith itself is based on unseen things, if you follow me. Our faith is not based on things that are unseen. It's our faith that gives us assurance of unseen things. It doesn't mean that faith is just a feeling that we have inside of us that just comes and goes with emotion that is not based on anything than just how we subjectively feel about something. Some people will say that they are a person of faith just because they have a strong feeling inside of them. When you'll ask them, you'll say, well, what is your faith? And they'll say, I, I don't know exactly. I, I just believe in something bigger or greater or different. I, I like to think of myself as a person of faith. I have faith. I just I feel like I have faith. And it helps me to think of myself that way. I think faith is good and I have it. And it's all just sort of very vague. But if we look in every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we can see that our faith is not expected to be based on feelings. But it's based on a tangible experience of God, often recorded by witnesses and confirmed after the fact historically by others. God said this and we did that and that happened. And God gave us this word and we practiced it and the results were as expected. And God says this about the nature of mankind. He says this about the nature of my heart. And when I investigate those claims, it turns out that it's true. And so what faith is not is faith is not just a subjective feeling that you might have that's completely divorced from any objective truth revealed by God. And for instance, this is what I mean. Someone might say they're a Christian. They say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. I feel very strongly it's important that I'm a Christian person. And so you ask, well, okay, what do you believe concerning the deity of Jesus Christ? That he is actually God? Well, no, I'm not, I'm not sure that Jesus is actually God. I, I mean, no one can be born of a virgin or do miracles. That's a bit too much. Oh, okay. Okay, so what about his death on the cross? There's something that happened historically. Jesus, the man, died on a cross. Do you, do you believe that when he died on the cross, he was bearing the wrath of God against all wickedness of man and, and bearing your personal sin? No, no, I don't believe in the wrath of God or the atoning death of Jesus. I just have a strong feeling that faith is a good thing and it helps me. Okay, what about the resurrection of Jesus? Well, no, I'm not sure about that bodily resurrection either. That's a lot like the virgin birth too, isn't it? Virgin birth... You know, resurrection at the end, it just, you know, I think the resurrection is something that just happens spiritually and figuratively in the minds of his disciples, that Jesus lives on in the ideas and ideals that he left with his disciples. Oh, okay, I see. So you're one of those not Christians then. No, 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 I am a Christian. I feel very strongly that I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, I see. 
that means that you're just a Christian because you say you're a Christian. You, you don't get to just make up what you want to feel about the Christian faith. Biblical faith is based on objective truth that we call doctrine. Right? Faith is not divorced from truth. That other kind of supposed Christianity is based on nothing but the strength of your own conviction. And that's not the kind of faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's not talking about people who just have faith in their own faith. Not at all. The, the Bible says that's not it at all. In 1 John 2, 22-23, John says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. So New Testament faith, if we're talking about New Testament faith, it's not just some strong feeling about something that's divorced from objective truth. It's been, this has been made clear to us in scriptures. Whatever that feeling is that, you, that those people might think is faith, it's not biblical faith. And it won't help them in pleasing God. Right? That's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making. That, that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that you think you have because you think you're a person of faith will not please God. There is a faith that will please God, and it has to do with the objective truth of His Word and the Son of God. But it also means, secondly, what sort of follows after that, is that biblical faith is also not the attitude that, it, that people have to accept true something apart from the evidence. Right? And, and that's sort of the way we use the word faith today. That's why it can be confusing, because because the word faith gets used in sort of a sloppy or different way today, in that you have to believe in something. Faith is believing in something apart from any evidence. And that's the problem with that word faith. It's been corrupted to carry along with it the baggage of the idea that it has to be divorced from any evidence, because because you're afraid that you have faith, because you're afraid that if you examine the evidence, you will find it isn't true. And so faith requires you to just sort of blindly leap into the darkness. It's kind of a leap into nowhere. And the danger of thinking that faith requires that you believe something without evidence is that it leads to a faith that requires me to pump it up. It's a faith that depends on me. It's I, If I can just, divorced of any objective evidence or truth, if I can just wind myself up enough confidence in myself, if I can just pump my faith up enough, then I can get the confidence that I need. And if I can work up enough faith, I can take something that isn't true and make it true. That's not biblical faith either. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The Bible doesn't call us to trust in something that isn't there. It's just the opposite. Jesus says that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. So biblical faith is not about how much faith you can work up in yourself. It's not about the quantity that you can wind up. The tiniest amount of biblical faith can have incredible power. Why? Because it's not based on the faith we generate within ourselves. It's based on the object our tiny faith is in. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was, uh, I noticed in China that, and I don't know if you've seen these YouTube videos, and I was actually going to have one of these YouTube videos, but I watched a few of them, and I was afraid so much watching the videos that I didn't want to put you through that, okay? But in China, they have this fascination with glass bridges. And I don't know if you've seen some of these on YouTube. Okay? They have these amazing narrow valleys that are like a thousand feet deep. And then they build a glass bridge across them for tourists and lunatics, I suppose, to walk across. Right? And so, honestly, they have these things set up. One of them they have set up with an observation deck on, like, good solid ground where you stand and watch the people crossing the glass bridge. 
Okay, so you can be either on the ground or on the glass bridge, right? But in these videos, some people, like there's one video where there's like this eight-year-old girl who just like walks across the bridge like nothing's there, right? No problem. And then following right after her is a grown man who is literally crawling on his hands and knees, crying in tears, in terror over what he's gotten himself into because he just cannot handle going over this glass bridge, right? And, and, and so you have this little girl who walks with confidence across this glass bridge with a thousand foot drop right there under her feet. And, and she walks across as if, you know, this thing will never let her down. And then grown men and women are crawling on their hands and knees, crying in terror over what's beneath them. But here's the point. The glass bridge holds them all up. Exactly the same. It doesn't matter how much faith they had. The glass bridge got them across. So whether you think you have to work up the faith of that eight-year-old girl who strides across with confidence, or whether you're that terrified person on the bridge who can just barely make it across without a heart attack, the bridge holds you both up the same way. That's the faith that we have in God. It's not about the strength of our faith. It's about the God who upholds us. It's about the object of our faith and whether it will let us down. The bridge holds them all up the same. The smallest bit of faith that barely even looks like faith that gets those terrified people out onto the bridge held them up just the same as the confident eight-year-old girl. And so biblical faith is not just something we muster up in ourselves and that somehow the bridge is going to be stronger if I have stronger faith. God's going to be God regardless of your faith. You just have to step out on that bridge. It'll hold you up. And then thirdly, related to that, what faith is not, it's not the mental attitude, attitude that attempts to make things believed in happen by sheer willpower or the power of positive thinking. People confuse believing and faith with the power of positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote the book of the same name, writes, according to your faith in yourself, according to your faith in your job, according to your faith in God, this far will get you and no further. And so, he says that faith in yourself and faith in God and faith in your job are all the same thing. It's just, just be a positive person. And as positive as you are, that's as far as you're going to get in life. Well, I mean, it's good to be a positive person. It's better to be a positive person than a negative one. But just positive thinking is not biblical faith. It's not getting out of bed in the morning saying, in every way, in every day, I'm getting better and better. Right? That's not biblical faith. A person can think positively about themselves and their situation and have absolutely no effect on the end result. You can put it this way. You can jump off a 100-story building and you can tell yourself with all the positive thought and talk that you like that you will survive. And here's the trick. You will actually be convinced that you are right 99.9% of the way down. And as the, as you pass the 30th floor, you can wave to the office workers. So far, so good. And people believing in the power of positive thinking are going through their life that way. They can be convinced that they are right 99.9% of the way. But as positively as you like to think, and it's good to be positive, it will not change objective truth and reality around you. I have faith. Yes, I do. Faith in what? Faith in your faith? What is it that you have faith in? Real faith is based on the person and the promise of God. It is not those other things. So what is faith then? What faith is? The writer of Hebrews wants us to know the necessity and the role of faith. 
Hebrews 11, 1-2 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And there's this crucial relationship between faith and our assurance of the promises that are given to us and the rewards pledged to us that we trust we will receive even though we have not yet seen them or received them. It says faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence. And the word there in the Greek, hypostasis, it literally means standing under or a support like a pillar. So faith is a pillar. It's a support. It's a substantial guarantee. It's a reality you can rest on. Okay, It's not something spiritual or mystical or or, or, or airy. It's, it's real. It's a standard. It's a competent thing. It's a reality you can rest on. It's the guarantee or proof you had possession. Actually, in the first century, this word hypostasis was the word that was often used as a title deed to a property. Okay, so you had that title deed. You were confident that you owned it. Right? So if, if we were using it as an example here, the, the connotation that it would carry would be like somebody buying a property at a, maybe a lake in a lake in Halliburton, right? And there's an island on that lake and you are living in Toronto and you've heard about this island and this lake and you want to buy that, that island with the cottage on it in this lake. And so you will go, you and the person who owns that will go to the lawyers and the lawyers will write up a deed, a title deed to it and they'll stamp it and they'll sign it and then they'll give you that title deed to that amazing new property that you now have and, and you carry that title deed with you and if someone asks you about your property, you can say, yes, I have it. Oh, have you been there? No, I haven't. Have you seen what it's like? No, I don't really know. Are you sure it's there and that it's yours? Of course. Well, how do you know? Well, here's my title deed. It says that this is my land and it's at this location and what's on it. Well, you're pretty confident, aren't you? Yes. Well, what are you basing that confidence on? That there really is a land and house for me and the owner who sold it to me and his lawyers are trustworthy. Right? That, that's what my confidence is in. I, I believe that what is said and what I have the title deed to is actual fact because I have confidence in the person who sold it to me and the mediators that he used to sell it. And biblical faith is like that. That's, that's what the writer of Hebrews here is saying. He's saying biblical faith is like that. It's something confident that you can put your faith in. Hebrews says something like, I'm going to heaven. You are? Have you ever seen it? No, I've never seen heaven. Well, what's it like? Actually, I don't really know. You're sure it's there? Yes. How can you be certain? I have the title deed. I have the title deed right here in my pocket. Right? It's on my phone. I carry it with me. Everywhere I go, I have the title deed. Well, you must be confident in the guy who wrote that was telling the truth. I am certain he was telling the truth. Well, why are you certain? Did you just, did you just get worked up in a good sales pitch on this heaven thing? No. No, he showed me the evidence. He proved his trustworthiness. In fact, he put the life of his own son down as collateral. What more could you want? And I'm, I'm confident in this in a way I can't even explain. It's, it's not wishful thinkings. The one who signed the deed is infallible. Therefore, he can be trusted completely. He is faithful. He never backs out of a promise, and he's all-powerful, so no other thing can come along and stop this deal from happening. I'm absolutely certain that the title deed to this reward, to this promise, is sure. And these people in Hebrews 11, as you read down the list, all of these ancients who are commended for their faith, this is how they lived their lives. They heard about God, they believed in God, they trusted in the promise of God, and then they lived in light of that promise. That's the faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about. 
This is not just a hope. This is not just a desire. This is not just wishful thinking. This is a title deed to a promise that's guaranteed by the God of the universe. That's faith. And then he goes on. He says they had the conviction of things not seen. Now think how important that is in the whole story of God's people. I'm using a lot of dialogue in this sermon for some reason, but, but just think of how important that is in the whole story of God's people. And in Hebrews 11 here, he uses the example of Noah. And Noah's story goes like this. Noah, yes, God. I'm going to make it rain so hard that everything gets covered. Okay, I've never seen that before. You're sure? Yes, all right. Build an ark. What's an ark? I'll give you the plans. Okay, got it. I have a promise too. Okay. If people get into the ark, they will be saved. I'll let them know, but I've seen these guys. They like the sound of their own voice more than yours. I know. Now, Noah, yes. Do you believe me? Yes, of course. I don't see your hammer yet. Right. I'm on it. (laughs) Right. This is the story of Noah, of Abraham, of Moses. Right. This is their dialogue. This is their experience of God. God reveals himself, God speaks, God gives them a promise, and they act in faith on that promise because they have a guarantee that the promise is true. Right? They have the conviction of things not seen. Noah didn't see it ever rain to cover the earth. Right? Abraham didn't even know where he was going. He didn't see the land that God had called him to. Moses had no idea how he was going to get the people of Israel out of Egypt. But they had a conviction of things not yet seen. And those things came to pass. They were certain. This is how the Christian faith works. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This is the faith I'm describing. This is what faith is. It's the instrument by which you are convinced of what you can't see yet but you trust God that what he says will be. You jump down to verse 6, explaining the faith that is required to please God. It says, you must believe that he exists and rewards those that seek him. And so faith, as we said, is belief and trust. I believe God and I trust him. It's believing and trusting. And it's so much about trusting, really, that when we say faith, We talk about this meaning of the word belief and faith and all of these things. When we say faith, you can really just say trust. It really means so much trust that in our language today, I would say, as we use the English language, it would be closer to the true meaning of what faith meant for them in biblical times. If we just, from now on, whenever you talk about having faith in God or faith in Jesus, really just say trust. And I think you'll understand the meaning more deeply. You trust in God. You trust in Jesus. It'll hit closer to home. We trust the scriptures. It'll just ring more true if we use the word trust instead of faith. And so it's a crisis of belief. It's a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of trust. And so if we ask ourselves the question, does scriptural faith matter as a matter of trust? I think you'll see fairly clearly that it does. Just a few examples as we look into the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, we encounter several metaphors or word pictures of what faith is, and and they all relate to trust. In John 6.37, faith is described as coming to Christ. John 6.36 and 37 says, But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. He's talking about faith. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, 
I will never drive away. Right? This is similar to Matthew who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, in the Gospels, this picture of faith is, this idea of coming to Christ is a picture of trust. Right? When Jesus talks about coming to him, he's talking about faith in him. He's talking about belief in him. He says, come to me. And the significance of that metaphor is that you're transferring your trust from wherever else you were to coming to Jesus to trust in him. You're coming to Jesus with your trust. You're saying, I used to trust in this. Or Jesus says, you're trusting in those things. You're trusting in that thing. You're trusting in this other thing. He says, leave those things and come to me and trust in me. Come to me and I will give you rest. I used to trust in these other things. Now I trust in Jesus. I used to count on these things in my life. Now I'm coming and counting on you, Jesus. And then there's another picture of faith in John 6. Right, And it's the picture of eating. It's the substance of Christ. In verse 53, it says, Unless you eat my flesh, you have no life in you. And so Jesus here in John 6 is not talking about cannibalism. He's, he's talking about depending or trusting on him for sustenance and for being. Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Trust Jesus to give you what you need for this day. And we see the same idea in Jeremiah where he's imprisoned by the king and each day Jeremiah gets one loaf of bread, one daily allotment. And then we see it again in the people of Israel in the desert. God gave them manna, but only one day supply except on the Sabbath and he gave them two so they could go to church. Right? And Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the sustenance that you need to live on. Don't trust those other things. Or we have the picture of drinking in John 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well. Drinking is a picture of how we trust Jesus alone to provide our full satisfaction. The Samaritan woman was seeking satisfaction and meaning in a string of unsuccessful relationships. One after another, these relationships this woman was pursuing were not working. They were not satisfying her desire. And there are a hundred things that we trust in to satisfy our desires, but Jesus says he's the one we're looking for. He's the one that satisfies like cold water on a hot day. Jesus is the one who ultimately quenches our thirst. And so faith involves believing in a person, Jesus, but it involves trusting his promise that he's sufficient for all of these things. So faith is about trust. Faith is about believing in God and trusting that he is sufficient, he is satisfying, that he is sustenance, that he is trustworthy. That's faith. When you think about the people of Israel, it's the same thing, and this is what it comes down to. When they were in the desert wandering and they had Jesus, or they had God, they had Jesus too, they didn't know it yet, but they had God. And God was going before them as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and God was dwelling in the tent in their midst. And God was providing manna and quail to them. And God was protecting them from the enemies that were around them, and God was sustaining them. And he was their God, and they were his people. And even in the desert, when God was doing all of that for them, they still needed reminders, but there was no doubt that the people of Israel's God was Jehovah. But then this is what happens, is then they went into the promised land. And it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And they could settle down, and they had permanent homes, and they had agriculture, and they had rain, and they had growth, and they had all these other things that sustained them. And when they were in the promised land, it suddenly became very difficult for the people of Israel to remember their God. 
because they had Baal and Asheroth and they had these other gods of fertility and rain that they felt like, well, we had our God in the desert that took care of us there, but now that we're in the promised land, we need these other gods that we also rely on, right? And then you started to see the pattern where they started to put their hope and their trust in Baal and Asheroth and all these other fertility and agriculture and rain gods. And it was easy for them to forget where their trust was supposed to lie with God. And so God had to keep bringing them back. Well, this is how our faith can work too, right? And our trust. This is where our crisis comes in. Because when, when we are in calamity, when we're in what we consider to be a crisis, when, when we really need protection or we really need sustenance or we really need satisfaction or we need God to show up in our midst, then God is our God and we're there praying with all the faith that we have in that God. But when we enter into the promised land parts of our life, where the rain has come and the crops are growing and we got our house and borders are secure, well, all of a sudden our trust can go in lots of different places. All of a sudden we can really start paying a lot of attention to things like our you know, our retirement fund or our stock options or that property that we have or, you know, those things that we have laid away that are going to take care of us, our comfortable house, the career that we've built up, all of those things. And those things can start to creep in and we start to put our trust in that. And the writer of Hebrews wants to yank us back and say, no, that that's not the trust that you have in. You have trust in God. Our faith is in God. Our confidence is in the title deed that we have in God, that He is and that His promises are true. And so we have to take the warning of the people of Israel. We have to take the warning of Scripture that be careful where our trust lies. And so we come back to our original question. Are we men and women of faith then? If that's what faith is, if faith is hearing God's voice, if faith is seeing God's promises and then living out our life in that way, are we then people of faith? And sometimes we get the first two conditions of faith right, or we like to convince ourselves that we do. Right? We get the first two conditions really well. We believe God exists. You ask me if God exists? I absolutely believe God exists. And we believe in His promise and His reward to us. Oh, absolutely. My faith is based on the trust in that reward, especially the promise that Jesus has died for my sins and that His death was sufficient and that He has paid the price and I stand before God righteous only because of the promised work of Jesus Christ. We believe God exists and we believe that promise. We get those two. We get those first two. But then does our belief result in action? This is where the crisis lies. That's where the crossroad is. That's where the turning point is. If God has spoken and we trust him, then will we change our life? Will we actually adjust ourselves to what he is doing? And I'm not going to preempt Benton next week because that's what Benton's going to talk about. Benton's going to talk about that third step in our faith, which is then adjusting our lives to live out what we have faith in, to live out what we know in the trust in the promises of God. That's what we're going to look at next week. That's what the Christian life looks like. We are always adjusting ourselves to reflect the trust that we have in God. God calls us out of our plans and into His. That's the trust. That, sorry, that's the faith that Hebrews is writing about. Let's pray.